Carpenter's Way. <laughs> Feel free to stand and sing with us as we worship the Lord together. It's falling from the clouds. A strange and lovely sound I hear it in the thunder and the rain It's ringing in the skies Like cannons in the night The music of the universe plays You are holy
verse with me. Psalm 96, 1 through 4. Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. 
Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods.
Good morning. <laughs> uh, all my kindergarten, first, second, and third grade friends, you're dismissed to go to GPS, to Children's Church at this time. I have some really cool and really exciting announcements to make to mamas, daddies, grandmas, grandpas. New stuff that's happening in children's ministry this year. 
So I appreciate the microphone. Uh, my name is Alicia Bond, and I, I get the privilege of um, overseeing our preschool and children's ministries, in case you're watching online, and I'm a new face to you. Um, the three things that I wanted to tell you about as far as preschool, children's ministry, and I'm throwing in a little something for the youth ministry as well. Uh, the first thing is that we are currently signing up for children's camp at Camp His Way in Zavala, pre, which is for, for those that have just completed first, second, and third grade, and those deposits are due this Wednesday of $25. Um, we're also registering for preteen camp, which is our those that have just completed by the summer, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. That deposit is $50. And then our youth announcement, they're also registering for youth camp, which um, Pastor Adam, all that information he has for parents out at the youth table, that deposit of $87.25, your first deposit is due also this Wednesday. So some things to kind of take note at our ministry table, sign your child up. Because of COVID, spots are limited and camp numbers are a little smaller than in years past. So that's why spots are limited and we're just trying to get things wrapped up before we get to Crow Camp, which is my second big announcement for children's ministry. Now, Grow Camp is actually VBS that we've reimagined. So as you can see, the dates here are June the 6th through the 9th. It's at night, which is from 5 to 8.30. So these dates are a Sunday through a Wednesday. And it's for my kindergarten friends through my preteen, through those sixth graders that get to double dip. So good for you sixth graders in preteen ministry and also in youth. But the cool thing about Grow Camp, uh, yes, there is a small fee of $15. We're going to do so much for your kids in those four days. So grow, camp, grow. We're going to teach your kids, grow, go reach our world. So not only are they going to get, of course, a Bible lesson, Pastor Chad will lead us in the time of worship, but they're going to have 10 different breakout sessions that they can choose from, all Carpenter's Way leadership. I'm so excited about it, a skill like woodworking, jewelry making, simple sewing, canvas painting, a variety of, of, of activities, music, guitar. So 10 different breakout sessions that they'll get to choose two, unfortunately, two that they'll get to, to learn, either learn or uh, reinforce a skill so that they can turn around and use that at some point in their life to reach others, to reach their family, help around the house, help dad in the shop, use on a mission trip, so not only are we uh, preparing and planning for kids and giving kids an opportunity to grow in their faith in the Lord and in their trust in him, but also grow in a skill. So how awesome is that? So all of this, the Grow Camp stuff, you're going to see pretty much after Easter. It's going to be a registration online. You can pay online. Of course, it's going to take many hands-on volunteers to help. So that's where we need you guys, mamas, daddies, aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, friends, to help within these 10 breakout sessions. So all of that will be out on the sign-up table in our children's ministry. I'm pointing this way. Do you all know where I'm, I'm pointing to? The our table in the lobby. It's where we'll have our volunteer information. So that is Grow Camp. Everybody say it with me, Grow Camp. All right, awesome. So that is a really neat opportunity for your kids for this summer, for kinder through sixth grade. Now, the third thing that I was going to tell you about 
something new also to our, our children's ministry is our, our Bible study curriculum. So we have moved to LifeWays. Uh, it's called the Gospel Project. And within three years, we will literally go from Genesis to Revelation. And it is amazing. We are currently in Acts, which is where our current quarter is, which, surprise, or is it a coincidence that it follows along exactly where Pastor Mark is teaching? So our babies, infant, all the way through fifth grade, we're learning the same concept. The Holy Spirit, what is the church? You know, Acts. So we're digging into Acts. So you've probably wondered or noticed that your children are coming home with different pieces of paper than what we've done pre-COVID. Well, that's why. So we've totally changed curriculum. So super excited about what we are instilling not only in adults but in kids right even to our littlest lambs the littlest of our flock biblical we're simple and we're real y'all we're real we're not putting on airs we're not trying to show this big pious religious religious anything it, it's about a relationship right with our savior jesus christ for god through knowing his son jesus and so that's what uh, we're pointing your kids to and your grandkids to is our amazing savior through those three areas through camp preteen camp children's camp grow camp and then the third aspect is our preschool and bible study literature so guys thank you for entrusting your kids to us you're welcome to volunteer with us like i said we need many many hands on deck to make it happen come see me casey carnley amanda hilliard um, megan brevard my amazing leadership team We'll find a place for you. <laughs> Thank you so much. She, she's right. They are investing in our children. I appreciate so much Alicia's uh, leadership. We have uh, my son, grandson is 13 months old and can actually recite the whole, uh, every book of the Old Testament <laughs> and has half of uh, Ecclesiastes memorized. So that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. This, this, uh, the things that we're doing, um, you know, uh, COVID year stunk, but it really also allowed us a time to reevaluate, and we are digging into Scripture. Um, we, are, we are unapologetically going deeper and faster, and uh, we don't know what tomorrow holds, because every time a prophet tells you what's going to happen, it doesn't happen. So what we want to do is prepare you with the Word of God for whatever the Lord allows us to experience together. So that's what we're doing with your kids. And uh, if you're looking for ministry opportunities, we want you to jump in. Uh, many of you uh, do long-term ministry. Maybe you don't feel healthy enough for lots of reasons, but here's a chance for you to uh, to serve uh, three nights and uh, and and work in your, your sweet spot. I did notice that there's no preaching concept there. So I'm, I'm announcing now I'm going to do a Billy Graham camp. Um, <laughs> I'm just teasing. Alicia, we're just so thankful. Also this morning, Sayla led worship for the first time. Is Sayla still in the room? Did she? I know her mom was here this morning. And uh, we want to welcome her mama. We're so glad to have you here this morning. Are you not proud of this girl? And I, I don't know, I think everybody took the day off, but uh, we, she is, we are so blessed to have her. And, and uh, you've done a good job. She's an impressive, godly young woman. And I'm sure you're here because rumor is she's about to be part of a couple getting married. So we're praying for her. But thank you for coming, Mom. We, we, we honor you. I also want to introduce you to my sister. I know that many of you know my sister. I am the youngest of three in my family of origin, and others have been added 
through adoption and things. But uh, I, my brother is very old, and he is the oldest. Uh, you have, I think you've met Steve on a couple of occasions. He's a psychologist in San Diego. And then my sister is an executive administrative assistant to a big, massive company and uh, lives out in San Diego and also serves in her church. Uh, but is an online Carpenter's Way member, so she watches us every week and makes sure that I'm not messing up my ministry and also. But uh, that's Terry, and, and uh, we're glad to have her this morning. And um, I, have, I have a couple. I know there's a lot of stuff going on, but I do have a couple more announcements that I, I want to um, make to you. As you are aware, uh, we are, we, we, during COVID, we did a lot of our announcing on Facebook and Instagram. And while we're still going to do that, we're moving away from that being our main fo uh, focus of communication to you because a lot of people are getting off Facebook, and I sure understand why. Um, and uh, we don't want to keep you connected to it if, if you don't feel that. Plus, we think there's a better way to, connect, uh, to give you more information, and that is through email and texting. And uh, so we, uh, we, we try not to send too much out, um, uh, maybe a couple texts a week, uh, maybe one email a week. But, it, but on your seat this morning, on every chair in here, we put a, an update of information. If you would be so kind and fill that out for us, put your name on it, whether you're, whether you're visiting and you'd like to know more information about Carpenter's Way in the future, what we're doing, what things are coming up. Uh, cancellations, additions of ministry, and then just drop it in the offering boxes. Uh, I had somebody ask this week, how do I give? <laughs> Great question. Um, we have offering boxes as you enter. If you're, uh, if you're one of our online family, you can give online at our website. But if you're on, just online and you'd like to get updates of what's going on in our church, uh, you can simply send an email to uh, wendy at cwbc.org or mark at cwbc.org or just get on our website and send it to any of us and we'll make sure you get there. Because email and, uh, and texting is going to be the way you get information. And I do need to say, don't unsubscribe because we, we go through a church admin software package and for some reason it's really hard if somebody unsubscribes to get them back on. I, I'm not sure why, but we have to go through a big process with them. So, uh, but in any way, uh, any, just, just feel free to delete it if you're not interested in it. But we give a lot of information out or whatnot. So uh, uh, also, this afternoon at 12.15, there's an informational meeting on our summer uh, short-term mission trips. We have two this summer that are going out, uh, if the Lord allows. Uh, one is to Brazil, and one is to Guatemala, and both of them are combining at 12.15 this afternoon in the annex. As you walk in, it's the big room in the middle. Uh, they're they're going to have a meeting, about 30 to 45 minutes, Kevin. So, uh, look... We think this is going to happen. So this is a really good time for you to go just to get information. You may want to go next year or the year after or just find out what they do. This is the meeting to get to. We understand that everything's up in the air with COVID. It looks like it's heading in the right direction. They're planning on having both of the trips. But you are not signing up by being there. You're getting information of, of, of what it takes. So please plan on that. All right. One more thing. Next weekend. I don't know if you're aware of it. It's Easter next weekend. Isn't that weird? I mean, usually, I, it is just, uh, it's, it's crazy. And I'm, I just want to say again, it's so good to see some of you that I haven't seen for a year. Some of you have lost weight. Some of you have not. 
I, wait, I didn't say anything. But it's so great to see you back. Um, having said that, do you? I don't know if you remember this, but one of the first weekends we canceled was Easter. So we're going to do that live here uh, next weekend. But I also want to mention that uh, we have a Good Friday service at 3 o'clock in the afternoon this coming Friday. It's actually communion. And so it'll be... About 20 minutes long, and communion will be at the end like we've done it. It's a scripture reading. It's some songs. It's, it's not a long service. So even if you don't get time off, maybe you can take a late lunch, and we will get you out of here in time. But it's a chance to reflect on the death and burial of Jesus Christ. Resurrection Sunday is our opportunity to fixate on his resurrection. And it's going to be very creative next weekend. Uh, we've been working on it. Nancy's written a, a sketch, and Chad's been working on this. So it's going to be a great weekend. You might want to bring somebody here for that. That'll be next Sunday. You'll want to be in your place at 930 because the room's going to go dark for several reasons a little after that. So make sure you're here next weekend. But we are, having, we are celebrating the resurrection this year. So that's good. All right, that's all the announcements. Um, let's pray, and then let's jump into Acts chapter 10. Lord, we love you, and we are thankful that you gather us together today. And I, I just thank you for all the gifts that make this happen. And Lord, we thank you for Selah that is uh, about to get married. Uh, we pray that you would bless their marriage beyond their wildest dreams, that, Lord Jesus, you would inhabit their vows, and that this couple, as they live together, Lord Jesus, that, that the world would know who come in contact with them, that their God is the Lord. Uh, thank you that her mom could travel and be with her today, and uh, I pray that you would bless their party this afternoon. Uh, Lord Jesus, we pray uh, for those that are away on vacations and time away, and uh, we just pray that you'd bless them. And as we jump into your word right now, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us in a very real way, in a very personal way, and transform the way we live by changing the way we think. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, in our place in Acts, and we're going we're gonna to jump in now quickly, uh, it tells us that despite the persecution that the young church was facing at the time, since the stoning of Stephen, and you remember that that seemed to, killing of Stephen seems to set off the persecution of the church. Um, since that point, Saul begins to, to, to cause persecution all over the place, and Christians are so terrified in Jerusalem that they run for their lives. And they run from Jerusalem to Judea and then Samaria. And, he, uh, and, and we've been talking about that for a few weeks, but what's interesting is, after Paul's conversion, which uh, Zach preached on a few weeks ago, it says that, that he was with the apostles, he was preaching, and he left that region and he went back to Jerusalem. And when he went back to Jerusalem and left where the church was in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, it tells us in Acts 9.31 that the church had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger. And last week, we talked about the two things that Luke attributes to the strengthening and growth of the young church. In the second half of Acts 9.31, it says that they became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. So last week, we talked about the two things that Luke points out that this church was experiencing. First of all, that they had come to live in the fear of the Lord. They lived in, which, which we defined last week, we talked about it because it's a phrase that all church-going believers know, but they don't always understand. And we said, for a child of God, the fear of the Lord is different than for somebody who's not a child of God. For somebody who doesn't know God personally through Jesus, the fear of the Lord is terror, terrorizing. It is the fear of coming judgment, of the judge standing on his throne over them. But for the child of God, the fear of the Lord is, is the confidence of knowing who their eternal father is, what he is capable of, 
and that they trust him even in the most terrifying and difficult of experiences in this life. And for the young church, it tells us that it made them strong. It also tells us that as they leaned on and trusted in their Lord with their lives and their deaths, it was the Holy Spirit that inhabited and encouraged them, and as a result, their numbers grew. Their numbers did not grow as the result of creative ministry or good programming or, or their own commitment to reach the lost, but actually it was an outgrowth of what God, the Holy Spirit, was doing in them and through them. Uh, as, I, as I reviewed this this week and prepared for our time uh, this morning, I just, I just want to encourage you in these equally strange and dangerous times. And I, I, hope, I hope you realize that things really haven't changed in the past 2,000 years. Things are the same. Technology has changed. That's all. People are the same. And the same people persecute us today as persecuted us then. And sometimes we live in seasons of peace like we just read. And sometimes we live in peace, uh, uh, seasons of tragedy and difficulty. But it is my prayer that, that, we, and, and that we, in these weird times, we will learn to know God and lean on him. That is why we do these things that Alicia talked to you about a few minutes ago for very young children. Zach and I were talking this week. Uh, we, we just dumped TV this week, and that is really weird for me. I feel unconnected. And not because I watched much TV, but I don't even know what news I can trust. Some are right, trying to convince me of right-wing thought. Some are left-wing thought. And we just, I just got tired of paying 60 bucks a month for something that's just trying to mess with my head. And so we just, we just got rid of it this week. Now, don't get me wrong. I still have Netflix. But, <laughs> but I'm going to pick and choose what we watch. I'm not going it's to... Just, it's just changing. And, and Zach and I were talking this week about how you raise a kid in these times. And I'm actually thankful for these times. Because if you just sit back and do it the way a lot of us were raised, kind of taking them to church and just kind of letting it happen without an intentional discipling of your children, you're going to end up with a mess. They're not going to believe what you believe. And they may even believe in God, but they're not going to believe the same things about man and the fallen nature of man. The world is heading in a place where the most depraved, and by the way, the word depraved does not mean just evil, it means darkened in your mind, and that's the result of sin. Romans 1 tells us that people get depraved, and we lived in depraved times, and we're heading into more depravity. Uh, let me give you an example of one. We have a government, we have a government right now that says that you can't, that there is no such thing as being a man or a woman, you are just what you feel. But then it celebrated Women's Month last month. It's celebrating the first female vice president, but I didn't think we are. What if she decides next month she's a man? That's how crazy these times are. It's insane. Well, I could go off, but you, you know, I mean, all the weirdness of government, whether you're on the right or the left, you're watching it happen. It is, it, it, these are very weird days. How is it that Bill Clinton, in his history, is actually speaking on empowering women? And I, I don't mean that to be humorous, but these are depraved days. They're darkened in their thinking. And, and look, you may like Bill Clinton as a leader. There's a lot of Christians who like Trump as a leader, and they're both kind of messed up. Sorry if I offended you. But the truth is that to put Bill Clinton in charge of, or, or as speaking on behalf of empowering women is a lot like putting Trump in talking about gracious speech. It's just, it's just ridiculous, but this is depravity. It's the world in which we live. And, and, uh, and as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised unless we haven't understood what's coming, right? And so it's important that as you know what's coming, you're not going to be able to stop it. It is what it is. 
We know that God wins in the end, but Satan wins on the earth. We know that. Scripture tells us that. So our, our positioning shouldn't be to freak out over the 666. That's our blessed hope of the return of Christ. But our, our, our positioning should be to know God better and know what he's capable of so that we are strengthened, so that when we watch stuff that bums us out, and I will not be ignorant of the news. I can get it on the Internet. But it's, it's just so that I can be strengthened. I'm not being, I'm not being uh, brainwashed. And I got news for you. There's a lot of Christian ministries that are brainwashing you. There is still a ministry out there right now claiming that Trump is going to be president by next month at this time. They've been wrong three other times in claiming the prophecy of God has told them that. It's not true. And at some point, that guy needs to be speaking in a canyon to nobody listening. But as long as we follow, as long as we keep looking for people to tell us what we want to hear instead of what's true, we are going to be deceived. And, and we as a church leadership body and as a family want to dig into Scripture and not guys like me. I'm glad you laugh at my jokes. You don't laugh as much. But I'm glad you, I'm glad you we love you too. But it is not you in which I put my hope. It's in God. I struggle in putting my hope in you. I like you. I, I, I put my hope in you for supporting my family and lots of things, but God is showing me I have to put my hope in Him. And He will provide all of my needs according to His riches and glory, right? And that's what the Scripture tells me, and it's not always what my flesh tells me. And so the new church back in the day tell, uh, are examples for us to put our hope in the Lord despite persecution that they were facing, despite the death of their friend Stephen. They they dug in, and as they had the fear of the Lord, knowing who he was and what he could be trusted for, they became stronger. Uh, the, the application for us at this point is that we must devote ourselves fully to God, even at great personal cost. We must. And, and the question, why, is a fair one. And that's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Because you don't belong to yourself. You've been bought with a price. That's what next week is about. Reminding us. That's why we take communion. So you can come in with all the weight of the world and you take communion and you remember God bought you with a high price and you leave knowing that God has a wonderful plan for your life. And even if it doesn't feel wonderful here on this planet, it will feel wonderful in eternity. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus said. He didn't say, I'm going to make a big, huge barnyard that y'all can hang out in because I showed you grace. I'm building a place for you. He's building it for you. How crazy is that? That the God of the universe would go into heaven and build a place for you. He loves you that much. Until we get there, we got work to do. And that work's going to be difficult. Why is he asking us, why must we trust in him? Because he's bought us with a high price. And I think that that's why Paul said it in Romans 12, 1 and 2 as well. He pleads with us, since we're saved, to give our bodies to God. Let your bodies be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you will accept. When you think of what he's done for you, is it really too much to ask? What a great question. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. That doesn't mean by just moral things, but by value. The world says live for you. Everything is, you know, live your best life now. Well, it's only going to be your best life if you go to hell. That's true. If you go to hell, this is your best life. If you're going to heaven, this is the lousiest life. And we should live like that. Living for the king who has gone to prepare a place for us. Don't live the values and behavior and customs of the world, but instead let God transform you into a new person by what? Changing the way you think 
Then you'll know what God wants you to do. Dear Lord, I don't know what you want for me. Guide me and direct me. Well, to do that, he's got to change the way you think. Then you know what God wants you to do, and you'll know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. I believe with all my heart. um, I believe with all of my heart that most Christians want to do what God wants them to do. I really do believe that. I'm not going to stand up in here and tell you you're lazy or you're dumb or, or you're not trying hard enough because I don't think any of those things are true. I believe most believers really desire to honor the Lord. It's just that I think we're pretty darn sure we know what God wants. And so we, we live with those values. And when they don't happen, we get frustrated. What is going on? You know, you you look at the government. What is going on on TV? How quickly? I mean, uh, you know, I could start listing things, but I I, I need to stay away from politics. But you just just look around. If you are aware at all, America is not going in a good direction. Agreed? It's just what it is. Whether you're on the right or the left, it's not going in a good direction. And you kind of go, how did that happen so fast? And it's not just presidents. It's where the country wants to go. I know that's depressing, but please understand, this is not a Christian country. Countries don't get saved. People get saved. And if most of us are actually surrendered to the Lord, our country will have a value system of the kingdom. But if Christians continue to get saved just from hell and not surrender control of their lives, we will be no different than the lost. And I believe that right now God is raising up the church. I believe he's refining us. I was uh, talking with Connie and Mark Dubas before and, and uh, uh, some, some, a couple other people this morning. I really, or Kim, Kim Strong is the one I was talking with this about. I had several conversations this morning. But I was talking with Kim. I really believe that the seeker-friendly church is done. And why is that? Because the point of being seeker-friendly was to grow in numbers. And I, I just think that right now most churches are just trying to survive because of COVID and people not coming back. And, and I, I, think, I think that's a good thing. We need to stop focusing on seekers and focus on the one who came to seek and save us. Putting our eyes back on Jesus Christ, knowing that no matter what happens, he's in charge. Don't worry, I'm preaching the text before I get there. Some of you are like, when are you going to start? I'll be there. But I think we struggle with this idea of having grown up in church, for those of you who did, being told what God wants from us. And I'm, I'm talking about, especially those of you who grew up Southern Baptist, Falwell was wrong. He was a phenomenal evangel- evangelist and preacher. But somewhere along the line, he decided that we need to be a moral force for politics. That is not what God called the church to do. God called the church to proclaim mercy and grace to immoral people. People who sin in ways that offend you. They offend God. And somewhere along the line, we began to believe that God wanted us to be moral. And then we started handing out booklets of, of people in our church, everything you did, so we could, we could just hire each other to fix our, fix our cars and work out. And everything was done in Christian places. And then we left the world. Our job isn't to leave the world, it's to be with the world. Well, they're going to have a bad effect on me, not if you're following the Holy Spirit. Our job is to have a positive effect on them. How can we tell them if we're not sent? How will they hear about Jesus if they don't know him through you and I? We're supposed to come in to be refreshed and go out to, be, to minister. 
And I think, I think that one of the things that has happened to us is I do believe that we have been told by good-hearted men and women in pulpits of what life was supposed to look like as a Christian when the reality is it doesn't look like that. If you look at your own life, life is exactly what Jesus said. In this life, you'll have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. The truth is we can sit and lie to each other every day, but we have the same struggles of the world, and sometimes they're worse for a Christian because we're battling with sin on top of it. But I'm here to tell you that God is a God of hope, and it's not new. It's always been that way. I'd like to be super clear as now we turn to our text. When you submit your life to God, he will do amazing things in your life. You will experience the most incredible, unbelievable joy even in the trials. Um, I was asked this week by somebody, how, I'm so scared of death. How do I prepare for it? And my answer is this. Don't prepare for it. Enjoy life. When that moment comes, the Holy Spirit that lives within you will give you the strength and courage you need to face it. I, I, our youth group, I, I, uh, I think I've told you this before, but the youth group I grew up in, they did what they called catacomb sessions. Have I told you about that? Some of you I have in Bible study. But these were actual things. We would, they would take us into down, uh, town San Diego into a dark place in the middle of the city where there was a small river, and we'd, by candles we would sing songs that we know the saints of old sang when they were being persecuted. And right in the middle of it, they brought in guys with shotguns and they're shooting around us and stuff like that. And the whole point was to prepare us for persecution when the Soviet Union takes over. I want to tell you something. That's abuse. That's not okay. All of us had wet pants. That's embarrassing as a sixth grader. But even more than that, you don't have to prepare. God will prepare you. You walk with them right now in joy. You walk with them right now, and, and there is immense joy. Uh, we just looked last week at, at this church that's, that didn't just experience nonstop persecution, but there was peace. And, and with that, I want to jump into today's text. Ready? It starts in Acts 9, verse 31. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. What a wonderful time for this young church. Look what God allowed the church to experience at this point, even after persecution had begun. And he invited Peter to be a leader in that. Read along, verse 32. Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place, and he came down to visit believers in the town of Lydda. There he met a man named Aeneas, whom he had been, who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Then the whole population of Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around, and they turned to the Lord. And Peter high-fived his friends. What a great day of ministry that was. There was a believer in Joppa, verse 36, named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. Now you know why they were with Tabitha, because you don't want to be called Dorcas. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. And about this time, she became ill and died. What a bummer. She's ministering for the Lord and she dies. Her body was washed for burial and laid upstairs in a room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby in Lydda. So he sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Get up, Tabitha. 
And she opened her eyes. That's a good day of ministry. That's pretty cool. She opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. Well, hi, Pete. This is crazy stuff. He gave her his hand, and he helped her up, and then he called the widows and all the believers, and he presented them to, uh, her to them alive. The news spread through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. Yes, I, bless, I believe they did. And Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, living with Simon, a tanner of hides. Man, that must have been a blast for Peter. What a good day when you can heal a guy for eight years who's been, who couldn't walk and, and you take a dead girl that everybody's already mourning. They brought in the professional mourners. That's what the widows were. That's how they made a living. When they're, when they're doing all that and, he, and she, she ends up up and talking and feeding people and walking around, that's a good day of ministry by anybody's definition. And that's pretty much what Peter expected from the Lord. Yeah, I want to remind you that when Jesus was talking to the, to the eleven after Judas had betrayed him and killed himself, between the resurrection and the time of his ascension, Jesus referred back a lot to the things that he taught them as they traveled together. And one thing he told these 12 is that you're going to do greater things than me. Talking to the apostles, he says, you're going to raise the dead, you're going to cast out demons, you're going to heal the lame. That was their task as the, as, the, uh, as the new covenant came into action, um, I, I've been asked recently, why did they get to do some of these cool things, you know, these amazing supernatural things? Why don't we see that to the level today they had there? And I first want to say that God does miracles whenever he wants, through whomever he wants, wherever he wants, for his own purposes. But having said that, I know what you mean. The disciples throughout Acts, the apostles throughout Acts, are doing these remarkable things just as Jesus said they would. But I want to remind you in contextual history that there is no New Testament at this time. So in the same way the scripture tells us in Acts that the Father allowed Jesus to do supernatural things like heal the lame and the blind and the sick and the, and the mute so that his message would be validated. He did those things so he didn't just sound like another preacher in the wilderness, that he actually deserved to be listened to because the supernatural power of the, of the divine was upon him. Same, it is the same with the disciples. These followers of Jesus needed to be heard. There was no New Testament then. And so God had to endorse and validate their message by these supernatural things that only could be attributed to God himself. That's not true for you. It's not the message. The message, God uses you to proclaim the message, but you point back to the scriptures. You don't point to yourself. And if you're following somebody who points to themselves, you are in very dangerous territory. And how many more have to fall before you finally realize you can go to God on your own? You can go to God through his word. You can know him. It's been written by these same apostles for us. The reason you can trust their writings is because God validated their message through the supernatural. And I, as we get farther along in Acts, I will show you when they start to slow down in doing the supernatural because they started to get worshipped. Paul and Barnabas go into a town later and they call him Hermes and Zeus. And Paul says, what are you doing? We're not the gods or the children of the gods. We are the children of the only real God. And they worship. And Paul backs off from the supernatural ministry at that point. I just want to remind you that you've got to study the scriptures. as a thinking thing or you will end up thinking you deserve to have the right to do what everybody else did. We're going to talk about this Wednesday night in our Wednesday night study of the Bible. 
You know, we love the Ten Commandments, and we want to obey the Ten Commandments, but you realize a few pages over, it tells you to bury your poop outside of the camp. Poop is a biblical word. But you don't obey that one. You've never heard a preacher say, are you burying your poop outside of the camp of your house? Are you going and burying it in your neighbor's yard? Well, you have to answer the question, why do I obey one, one verse and not the other? They're both commands of the Lord. That's a study answer you need to have. And there are answers to all of these questions. I do believe people speak in tongues. I do believe. I heard the story recently of, uh, man, this could take me on a different route, of, of the dead coming back to life. Yesu Potom talks about things like that, and I'm in no position to question those things. All I know is those people rarely talk about that. They talk about Jesus. God does whatever he wants, and if he needs you to do something, you will at the exact time, including come back from the dead. But once you walk through that door, I don't know about you, but I don't want to come back. I'm scared of dying. So when I get there, to send me back, the Lord and I are going to be like, okay, I didn't really want to come back. Poor Lazarus, the saddest guy in the whole Bible. Remember a week later, it says that everybody went to celebrate that Lazarus was alive, and they're all eating, and it said he was sitting in the corner eating. You know why? Because he was depressed. He was depressed because he had to die again. All right, so we just finished Acts 9. Awesome story. Amazing. The church is at peace in those three regions, and God is blessing them numerically as well as spiritually. And you got Peter traveling all over, and you know who Peter is by personality. He's having a blast. God's using him. He's healing the dead. I mean, you and I both know with Peter's weaknesses, he's probably going to hear what I did last week. No, what'd you do, Peter? Heal the dead girl. <laughs> He was loving it, just like us, until this happened. You see, what's about to happen is going to be a problem for him. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, Acts 10, verse 3. Oh, I'm going to start in verse 1. Sorry, Kevin, I messed you up. Acts 10, 1. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer. Let your brain, you already know context, let your brain, he's a Roman He's an army officer. That tells you a lot. You need to know about him. So his job was to keep the Jews under control, okay? So the Jews hated, first of all, because they're Gentiles, and second of all, they hated them because they didn't like them being in control. So in Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was the captain of an Italian regiment. That's not a good thing. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor, and he poor and he prayed regularly to God. I want to remind you something Luke recorded for us in Luke chapter 11. Luke also wrote Acts, but he recorded these uh, in Acts 11, Jesus' words. Jesus said, I tell you, keep asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. Verse 10, for everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And what Jesus was talking about was, was a relationship with God. Don't give up. Keep searching. So you have this Gentile Roman officer whose life mission it was to keep Hebrew people under control was seeking, knocking, and asking after the God of the Jews, Jehovah God. He feared the Lord, it said. And as Jesus said, if you seek him, which is what he was doing, you'll find him, and this is what that looks like. In Acts 10, verse 3, one afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. Is that amazing? Every time somebody sees an angel, they're terrorized. 
What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He stayed with Simon a, tan a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and he sent them off to Joppa. How awesome is this story for Cornelius? God had heard his prayer. This is a great day for this Gentile Roman uh, officer. Spoiler alert, he's about to be saved. But while Cor Cornelius' soul is super important to God, so is Peter's maturity and growing up. You see, Peter has a problem. He's a racist. <gasps> There's that word. Racism is, racism is part of life. I'm not saying it's okay, but you grow up in a community thinking your community is better than everyone else's. Take a group of Americans to India. You don't think you're being racist, but you think you're better, and that's just how it is, and the Jews were convinced they were better, and he was convinced God had established him to be a leader of this new kingdom that God was setting up, and the Jews would rule the world. And because of that, Peter really didn't have much for Gentiles. Listen to this. In verse 9 of Acts 10, the next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the roof, to, on the roof flat to pray. He was a godly guy. He just had some problems. His worldview was broken. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was set down on it by, uh, set, let down by its four corners. In the sheet were, uh, were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill him and eat him. No, Lord. <laughs> Peter says no to God a lot in the Gospels. Absolutely not, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything but the Jewish law. I'm sorry, God. I would never eat a serpent. Do you see his worldview? Even though he's following Jesus, who is killed by the Jewish religious leaders, even though the message of Jesus is, I have come to fulfill the law, not to hold it up. With man, it's impossible to be saved, Jesus said. But with God, all things are possible. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me, including the Jewish religion. Despite being three and a half years with Jesus, listening to him preach, letting him talk about the law, showing them that man cannot save himself through the law, you still have Peter believing that the message of the gospel was still Jewish-centric. He was very, and I'd like to add, content with how things were. His life was great. Why would God throw him trouble? He was healing the dead, for heaven's sake. That's a good day. This, what was about to happen, didn't match it. He gets this vision from heaven about eating dirty food. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Let me put that in English. Listen, bonehead, I just told you to eat it. I'm the one who wrote the law. The same vision was repeated how many times? Wow. Peter must hate threes. Remember a week after Jesus rises from the dead, they're on the seashore. Jesus says, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Jesus. Then feed my sheep. Yo, Pete, do you love me? 
boy, Jesus has hearing problems. Maybe those haven't been raised yet. Yes, Jesus, I love you. Feed my, my lambs. Pete, do you love me? And it says that the third time the Lord asked him that, he got indignant and angry. <laughs> what a character. Getting angry at the one who just forgave him for denying him three times, who rose from the dead. But that's our Pete. A lot of, lot of flesh, right? You're not like that. But me and Pete are. And so God has this vision repeated three times to him. And verse 17 sex says, Peter was very perplexed. <laughs> what, what could this vision mean? I'm laughing because the Lord had already explained it. You don't have to understand everything, Peter. I told you to eat that. I, I, want, I want to remind you that God chose not to explain the vision to him up to this point. He simply said, eat it. Boy, are we like him or what? Trust me. Oh, I'm ready to trust you, Lord. You just need to tell me what I'm trusting you with. We're trying to, we got, we got people obsessed with figuring out when the return of Christ is when Jesus himself said, only my Father knows. And it's not for you to know. Yes, but, but the thief, as a thief comes in the night, so the Lord's going to return. And you can know when the thief is coming if you're sitting in the bushes outside. I've heard that explanation. I might warn you that you're fighting against the truth of God. God just says, be ready, keep oil in your lamp. Be a faithful servant while you're waiting for the master to come home. That's what he said. He didn't say, hey, let me explain to you what it looks like. You know, there's a reason the word rapture isn't in Scripture. Because God's not sure he's going to rapture us. I'm kidding. He knows what the plan is, but we don't. It, 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 and we're going to go through Revelation on Wednesday night here starting in about six weeks, but I want you to know that Revelation doesn't tell you what preacher says it tells you. I'm sorry. What Revelation does, it's one of the few books in the Bible that actually has an inspired, God-breathed title. And in English, it's the Revelation of Jesus Christ. In Greek, it's the Apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which actually means the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Now you know what Revelation is about. It's revealing who Jesus really is. We've seen him as a sheep, a lamb to be slaughtered. Under the Old Testament, he's the one who's talking to Abraham about having a baby. We all have different ideas of who Jesus is. Uh, Hebrews tells us he was the creator. You want to know who he really is? Read Revelation. That's what Revelation's about. It's the revealing of Jesus. And Peter, still seeing Jesus in fleshly form, thinking maybe he understands more, has figured out what God wants him to do with Gentiles. Or food, actually, at this point. What kind of food should you eat? And, and, and God says three times, I want you to eat. He didn't say, I want you to understand. He said, I want you to eat. But what does Peter do in verse 17? He's perplexed. What can, could the vision mean? To which God is, must be thinking, none of your business. When are we going to surrender control of our life to the Lord even when we don't understand? Isn't that how you raised your child? I know some of you just gasp. No, you didn't raise your kid like that. You didn't tell your two-year-old why they shouldn't stick their head in the oven. You just said stay away from the oven. Why? Because it was in their best interest that their head not be in the oven at two years of age. If you spent all of your time explaining to your one-and-a-half or two-year-old why they shouldn't put their head in an oven, you are part of today's problem in our society. That's why we have Antifa, a bunch of brats with too expensive of phones being supported by their mommies and daddies and not saying you should live under a bridge homeless until you get a job. Stop it. God doesn't owe us an explanation. He has earned the right to own us and for us to trust him. 
And boy, Peter's struggling with that here. He's perplexed. Just then, what does it mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, hmm, I love this. If you slow down and read some of these stories you've heard your whole life, they become hilarious. He's sitting on the roof going, what was that sheet anyway? The Holy Spirit said to Peter, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and he said, I am the man you're looking for. Why are you here? They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He was a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to the house so that he can appear or he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. The next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. They arrived in Caesarea the following day, and Cornelius was waiting for them, and, he had, uh, and had called together his relative and close friends. Is this guy hungry for God or what? As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and he said, Stand up, I'm human, I'm just like you. So they talked together and they went outside. Let, let me just tell you something historically that's interesting. Do you know why they worshipped Peter? Because they didn't think he was God himself, capital G. They thought he was the, one of the sons of the gods. Remember that the Greek and the Romans believe in Greek mythology. And I, I want you, I hope and I pray that as time moves on, I'm going to spend time pointing out to you things that you already know. Remember that history class you had in high school that made you read the Iliad that you hated? All of that stuff is relevant to the Bible stories. And here you have him. He's not bowing down because he thinks that's the Savior. He's bowing down because he thinks that's Zeus or the son of the God, or that's Hermes, the son of Zeus. He, he doesn't understand. They really believe that stuff. And so he starts to worship him, and the first thing Peter has to do is explain to him, I I'm just human like you. So they talked together, and they went inside where many others were assembled. But Peter is still Peter, and you're you, and it's okay if you make mistakes. And I don't know if this is a mistake or not, but I do find this next section funny. Peter told them, you know, it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or associate with you, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as un impure or unclean. He, okay, I, some of you laughed, and I laughed too, and I may be wrong on this, this is my opinion, but I think the reason that Peter says that is because he is so unnerved. He's got sweat marks under his armpits. He doesn't feel comfortable in there. It isn't his culture. It isn't his people. And this is a Roman captain. This is an officer of a Roman army. He's not enjoying this. And he's thinking to himself, I can't believe God sent me here. I can't believe. And yet now he knows he's sent, so he's doing ministry in an uncomfortable position. And what does he do? It just comes out of his mouth. You know, I'm not supposed to be here. I believe that's what Peter's doing. And isn't it wonderful that you don't have to do it right in order for God to work? Look, it's not about you. It's about God. It's not about how creative you are. It's about the Holy Spirit empowering you. And actually, Scripture says it's in our weakness he's made strong. And here's Peter not raising the dead. Here's Peter not making the, sick to, the blind to see. This is just Peter actually at a very weak point wondering what in the heck he's doing there. He's had a really good month. This is not what he wanted to do next. But he does understand that God wants him to be there. He's shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Remember Romans 12 too? Put it up there. Okay, leave it up there, Kevin, because I want to tell you something. I understand that homosexuality is a sin. 
But you know what else is a sin? Not loving them. Not ministering to them. Choosing nationalism. Choosing nationalism or politics over respecting people enough to wear a mask. Even if you think it's dumb. Actually choosing that because somebody wears his pants down here, you're going to already decide that they could never be part of God's family. Well, why would God's children show their... Most of us do it on Facebook. Sorry. Thank you for visiting Carpenter's Way. We're glad you're here. <laughs> Our pastor's out of control. The truth is, the truth is that people whose pants are down here need Jesus too. And rappers and people whose cars bounce down the road and rednecks and drug addicts and Democrats and Republicans and Trump needs Jesus and so does Nancy Pelosi and to adorn Trump as God's answer is not to realize it's to act like he doesn't need Jesus. He needs Jesus. Well, I think he's saved. How do you know? I just think he is. Why? Because you like him? We need to pray for our leaders, including Joe Biden. It's, it's very unnerving to watch him. Not because of what he says, but because of how he acts. Something's not right there. And this country right now has a value system. They're fighting for their ideologies instead of people. We are the people of God. We're about people, not ideology. We're about mercy, not about a country. Well, if we don't stay involved, our country will go downhill. Our country is downhill. And if you think it's bad now, I want to remind you that 200 years ago, we were enslaving people of, country, of color. That was not one of America's shiniest moments. And that's what a lot of us think was when we were godly. Our founding fathers enslaved people because of their, their heritage and their color, and that's not okay. I know you didn't do it, but we can't say things about this country that aren't true. Or what about the Indians? Look, I get it. We take land. That's what nations do. But we made promises to them. We sent them to South uh, Dakota. Where's, the, where's Mount Rushmore? Is it South Dakota? See, I'm smarter than I realized. We sent them to South Dakota until we found out there was gold in those mountains. Then, because we couldn't break the treaties we made with them, we sent buffalo soldiers to kill their food. It's not okay. Not for a child of God. That's not how we deal with things because ultimately what matters to the child of God is his kingdom, not this kingdom. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Very hard because I want my grandson to grow up fat, dumb, and happy. I do. I want him to have an easy life. I don't want him persecuted unless that means he doesn't need Jesus. So as much as it scares me, I would rather him struggle and lean on God than not and lean on me. Guys, this is about God. And Peter didn't belong to himself. And he finds himself in this weird circumstance. And God was in the process of transforming him into a new person by changing the way he thought. Acts 10, 28 God has shown me that I no longer, I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. 
Now tell me why you sent for me. Cornelius replied, four days ago I was praying in my house about the same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying in the home of Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has, sent, uh, has given you. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. He must have swallowed twice after saying that. And, and by the way, you would think that this fixes Peter, but it doesn't. It tells us that later in Acts, Paul has to rebuke him publicly for he refuses to eat with Gentile pastors. Why? Because he's a racist. But being a racist doesn't keep you from serving the Lord. Neither does being a liar, a thief, or blind, or selfish. But God will point it out to you. And, and I, want, I want to say something that's been on my heart the last few weeks, and I've said it before, but I understand that the evangelical church in this country is predominantly white, and probably not racist like it's being, it's being said. But there's a lot of racists who feel comfortable in our flocks without conviction of the Holy Spirit. And you need to go away or get saved. Verse 36. This is the, good, this is the message of the gospel for the people of Israel. Here he goes. That there is peace with God through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. I just love this. You know what happened throughout Judea beginning in Galilee after John had been preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. See? That's why he did the miracles. It was a validation. And we apostles are witnesses of all that he did through Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We are those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, and the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Two thoughts, and then we're done. Number one, Romans 10, 14. How can they, including the people you hate, or don't like, or offend you, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? We have been sent by our dad who saved us to tell them. And I mean them. Those people. They are killing our country. They are killing our culture. They are. Those are the they. Who will tell them if we don't go? And if you don't care about their souls, something's wrong with your heart. They may be of a different race, color, socioeconomic status, political persuasion, sexual orientation, a different sin, a different music taste, a different religion, the same religion, 
feelings about the environment or coronavirus or even racial divides, but we have been sent to them. Do not alienate yourself by your own ideas. Let God change the way you think. Then you'll know what to do. Go get them. Go get them. Secondly, maybe you've been listening to this message and you are very much Cornelius. You're seeking truth. You want forgiveness. You want grace. You, you want to know that you and God are on good terms, that you have been forgiven. I present you Paul's words from Romans chapter 3, verse 21 in the New Living Translation. God has shown you a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. In other words, you don't have to be good enough for this one. You don't have to be Christian or Jewish. This was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. You can be made right with God by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are, white, black, rich, poor, doctor, teacher, homeless, for everyone has sinned. We have all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. God, uh, people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. That's how you're saved. You know you're a sinner? You call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That's Romans 10, 13. Cry out to him today. Fact, you are a sinner. Fact, you will be judged by God the judge. Fact, the judge, God, sent his son to pay the penalty of your sin in his body on the cross. That's what we celebrate Friday. Fact, you can be forgiven, saved, and adopted by simply calling on him and admitting you're a sinner right now. Acts 10, 44 through 45. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. Racism. And you know what? Our Savior is not a racist. He loves them all. And our job is to as well. You may not like them, but love them enough to tell them. Teachers, those rowdy kids in your class, they're out of control for a reason. You pray for opportunities to speak life into them through how you live. I know your words are limited. Unless a kid walks up to you and says, Miss Kim, why do you love me? You're a white woman and I'm not. Then you can answer, because Jesus died for me. I'm not better than you. It's my privilege to stand before you every day, you, you spoiled, rebellious little non-reading brat, and tell you that God loves you. God loves them as much as he loves you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for wonderful days. Days where it feels like we're raising the dead. Where we know, we, we can, we know you're present with us. We see your work among us. And then we thank you for days that you do things that we just can't even understand. <laughs> because what that does is it makes us ponder you, just like Peter did. And I thank you, Father, that you use racists like Peter and me. That you use fallen people. People who have secret sins. And you don't give up on us. You just refine us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would begin 
to change the way we behave by changing the way we think that we would see ourselves as messengers of reconciliation. Lord, as we walk into Holy Week, 2,000 years ago today is when we celebrate your walking into Jerusalem and everybody hailing you as king. And then it turns south in about four hours. Lord Jesus, thank you for letting it turn south. Thank you for putting up with humans killing you. Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you for saying, come to me. I want a relationship with you. We love you. Change the way we think. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful Sunday, everybody. present, always close, blessed assurance, oh 